days away from officially entering game week for the Peach Bowl college football semi-playoff matchup against the LSU Tigers in news that could absolutely have been worse. Oklahoma has three players facing suspension. Ramondre Stevenson. You know, I, look, I, Trajan Bridges, Ronnie Perkins. I I go back and forth. I mean, I, with all due respect to Trajan Bridges, he's when you're ranking these guys on on how effective how they're going to affect Oklahoma's game plan and the really the the weight of their suspension. Rich, I've gone back and forth on this. At first, I thought, man, Ronnie Perkins was uh, was the 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 bigger deal, the bigger loss. And then I'm like, no, it's Ramondre Stevenson, and I go back and forth. I think I've settled on the fact that the more significant loss to Oklahoma's chances of beating LSU in the Peach Bowl is, in fact, Ramondre Stevenson. What's up, everybody? This is uh, the Sooner Nation podcast, Rich DeCray, along with Matt Hofeld. There, I have nailed the intro, my man. Give me your uh, give me your <laughs> ranking on significance with these three players being suspended. Initially, as the rumors began to swirl, names were being thrown out left and right. I saw the list go from three up to six pretty quickly. Of course, the university unable to comment on the situation. I believe that's because an appeal that right. has been filed waiting to get a little bit more information before the university will comment. But people have gone ahead and run with the story. Now, Trey Brown was initially thrown out as one of the people, one of the players who was going to be suspended. I'm assuming more than a handful of tweets came his way as well as Ronnie Perkins. Ronnie Perkins has completely locked his account, meaning that you can't tweet him. You can't follow him unless you've been approved at this point in time. But Trey Brown tweeting, shut up. Trey Brown subsequently getting in there and saying, how how are you guys going to lump me in without knowing any information? I thought Trey Brown would have been the biggest loss. One, because you look at... Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. But of the three, I mean, because right. City Lane, Lane was in that. I mean, there's so many rumors, right. but here's what we right. know. We know it's Ronnie Perkins. We know it's Ramondre Stevenson and we know it's Trajan Bridges of those three, the ones that well, are actually suspended. That's who's most significant. This is all that I was saying was uh, Trey Brown was the one that I was extremely nervous about because of the offense that LSU has. But in that same breath, I, I think it, you're going Stevenson. I'm going with Perkins here. Perkins, the best pass rusher that Oklahoma has on the roster, statistically. Is he okay, statistically. statistically. Right, I'll give you yes, statistically. Statistically, the best pass rusher. You look at the influence he had in the Big 12 championship game alone, and you see what type of a playmaker Ronnie Perkins can be at any given moment. Again, I feel like the defensive side is where you have to look to pinpoint the biggest loss not the offensive side. I get where you're coming from with depth at the running back position. You've got Kennedy Brooks, TJ Pledger, who suffered an injury and hasn't really played a whole lot this season, is now going to have to step into that role of the backup, of the number two guy when it comes to running backs. But I, I'm still looking defensive line and the impact that they could potentially have on a game, especially when you're looking at Joe Burrow and the success that he's had all year long against what some people would label as quality defenses. Yeah, but you mentioned it. It's it's depth to me. Okay. Mm-hmm. You look at uh, you look at this running back position, Trey Sermon gone. 
you know, with, with an injury. Uh, Marcus Major gone with an injury. There's there's literally two guys left in this backfield. T.J. Pledger averaged six yards a carry in 2018. Very limited action this season. Eight carries for 62 yards. I mean, that's a boost in his average. Almost eight yards per carry is what he's got rolling here in 2019. But still, you mentioned it early injury in the season. The rise of Ramon J. Stevenson has mean has meant that T.J. Pledger has kind of seen a, a shrink in in his playing time. But I mean, when's the last time that Oklahoma? I mean, when is the last time that Oklahoma went actually went into a game with one running back? I mean, you can you name it? Because I, I can't. I can't either. I mean, I get predates Lincoln Riley. I mean, Adrian Peterson had guys. I mean, you, Alan Patrick, Kewan Jones. I mean, Quentin Griffin. I mean, you, you go all the way back. There's maybe maybe there were some Quentin Griffin games in the early 2000s where it was just Quentin Griffin. You know, because um, I remember Michael Thompson was on that team. He got injured in '99. Quentin Griffin comes in, plays in that that bowl in the Shreveport. I think that. I mean, I think you really have to go back that far to find just a one guy backfield. And so what that tells you is what it tells me, Lincoln Riley's not planning on just doing a one back rotation in this game. So TJ Pledger, at least he's not a true freshman. It's grow up time for TJ Pledger, but there's nothing else behind that. There is no more depth. And when you're talking about star guys, well, I was there. I was in, I was in Arlington when Kennedy Brooks got injured. You hate to see anybody get injured, but you're thinking, we got Ramon J. Stevenson. You know what I'm saying? You don't have that anymore. You don't you don't have that luxury. You have one guy. <laughs> Which is I love that about Lincoln Riley's press conference, by the way. I knew that you talked about the injury to Kennedy Brooks late in the Big Twelve Championship, some concerns over whether he would play or not. I knew that Lincoln Riley was stepping up to the podium to talk about recruiting, but it was undeniable that a question would be asked about these potential suspensions. Matt, I sent you the video earlier this week where someone jumps up and says, will Kennedy Brooks play? Alluding to the injury right. as we head towards, I mean, roughly a week out, just over a week out from the Peach Bowl, will Kennedy Brooks play? And Lincoln Riley says, Brooks will play jumping in. Now this was just genius by Barry Trammell. If I'm not mistaken saying, will Ramondre Stevenson play and Lincoln Riley without missing a beat says Kennedy Brooks will play, which told you all that you needed to know without giving a definitive answer on this situation. Well, he commented on the situation without commenting on the situation. Right. You know, he, he, well, and, and it came up later but, in that but conversation. You're, but you're right on the appeal. That's that's why they're not talking. Mm -hmm. um, they, these guys, you you do an A sample and a B sample. And and for those of you that don't know how this works on the college football drug, first of all, these guys, it makes sense that they're all young guys or new guys. You know, Ramondre Stevenson is the is the the oldest of the group. Uh, Bridges is a freshman, Perkins a sophomore, Ramondre Stevenson a junior college transfer. But it's you know you you this isn't Oklahoma's first rodeo, so to speak. You know the NCAA is going to come calling 
You just won the Big 12 championship. You're probably partying because you won the Big 12 championship. You made the playoff. You know, in that celebratory, you make a bad decision. But this is where I, I've seen I've seen people lambast the coaches and just call it a complete breakdown of of being able to watch and control your players. Look, if you if you think that any institution, any program anywhere in America, has, <coughs> excuse me, has control, yeah, that came out of nowhere. If you think anybody has control over their athletes 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're wrong. You're just wrong. But these guys have got to be smarter than that because now it's not just and, – and here's the thing that really I don't see a lot of people talking about. We're not just talking about a peach bowl suspension. Right. The suspension is up to half of the season. Mm-hmm. So when you when you got guys like Ramondre Stevenson who's got one year of eligibility left, he he may have lost half of that. Now I don't. What I don't know is how much does the postseason play into that. So is he is he going to miss? Let's say Oklahoma wins the Peach Bowl. Mm-hmm. So he's going to miss the Peach Bowl. He's going to miss the national championship game. Does he still miss half of the 2020 season? See, I've. It's difficult. It's a very difficult situation to comment on, uh, largely in part because we we know what quote unquote sources have said and what's been published online. And everything that I've been hearing was six games, and which you do equate to half, half the season, season. But six games to me would count any from this point forward. From the point of the suspension forward, so if it is two, then it's four games. Right, but, but I, I get what you're saying, but but the point I'm making, we know that it's a six game suspension. Right. But is it a because the actual the actual rule reads half of se- half of season. Mm-hmm. That the rule doesn't say six games. It says half season. Right. So the question at hand becomes, does this count as their half season? Do they, they, do they miss this game? Yeah, potentially I, I would the championship have to think game. so. And, and that means you lose them for September and you get them back for conference play, right? Because the the ruling, we, we can even take an interpretation that we see play out a little more frequently, which is the targeting rule, and that you miss half game. Right. Right? So if you get a targeting, well, you're ejected for in the fourth quarter for a targeting call, you miss the first half of the next game. of the next the next game. So I'm I'm using that type of an interpretation and in saying that it it applies immediately. Whereas if you're ejected in the first half of a game, you miss the second half, you're good to go for the next the next contest. This episode of the Sooner Nation podcast is brought to you by CBS Sports HQ. It's the brand new streaming sports network. It's live, it's 24-7, and it costs you nothing. That's right. It's sports coverage that's always on, and it's always free. Always. Here's what I love about CBS Sports HQ, because I am a huge fantasy football, fantasy baseball, fantasy basketball nerd. They've got tons of highlights. They've got breaking news as it happens, and they have fantasy advice. That's something, like I said, that I care deeply about. If you're into the gaming, uh, gambling picks, and they're there, analysis, it's all there for you. Uh, when you turn on CBS Sports HQ, you'll see the tips, the trends, and the need to win your bets. Don't forget, you get all that access and great coverage completely free. I don't mean free for a week or free for a month. If you have some special cable package, it is totally, completely free for everybody, and you don't even need a login. Just download the CBS Sports app on your phone, your Apple TV, your Roku, your Fire TV, or other connected device at any time to watch CBS Sports HQ. No fake debates. 
just sports for real sports fans at the great price of completely free. Remember, you don't even have to log in or sign up for anything. Download the CBS Sports app and watch CBS Sports HQ today. Okay, so we know the suspensions are there. No, I mean, the barring some miracle B sample favor that goes that goes in their favor, you're without two key players. You, and so I I think I think this gives Lincoln Riley the opportunity to become super competitive, uh, super creative. I think that's the word I'm looking for with the way he calls offensive plays. I do think Kennedy Brooks obviously is your feature back, but Jeremiah Hall might see some time right. uh, in the backfield. I, 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 I mean, there's no way, in my opinion, uh, that you don't see Pledger. Pledger's mm. a speedster. Don't forget that. I mean, it's, it's he's almost he's more like Pledger's more like Kennedy Brooks than he is Ramondre Stevenson. So you don't have that change of pace back, but you can with two have two burners in your backfield if you go with I, I just and Jalen Hurts I mean well and I was, that's the other thing I was gonna say I think Jalen Hurts I think this becomes a game where Jalen Hurts carries the ball 20 to 25 times I mean there was always that risk of that or that mm-hmm. chance of that happening I think it becomes that chance increases now and I think the focus on ball safety ball security becomes an even greater focus because you absolutely I mean you're talking about the best offense in the country the last thing you want to do is give them extra possessions. So when you've got an inexperienced guy in TJ Pledger, you've got a turnover-prone guy in Jalen Hurts, getting more touches, ball security has to be a priority with these guys above all else, even a higher priority than it was a week ago. I do agree with you here. Um, but the one thing, and this is not a game preview, this is really more of a hot take from yourself as well as myself at this point in time. I'm when I'm looking at the game plan and what Lincoln Riley's going to do running the ball, my focus doesn't immediately go to a guy like Kennedy Brooks and Jalen Hurts and then who's who's in there next, whether that's a Jeremiah Hall or a TJ Pledger. My interest begins to circulate around how does he involve a guy like a Charleston Rambo or even a CD Lamb in that running game. We've seen it before. Well, it's yeah, been you're going to have guys in motion. It's I mean, been that's... very limited, but they've come around the end and received mm-hmm. the ball. But we've also seen CD Lamb line up in the backfield. Right. I mean, that, that has happened. But here's the thing that, that you really got to, in, in the grand scheme of things, here's what you got to look at. What you lost in Ramon J. Stevenson is more than a guy who was a power running back. Mm-hmm. You lost a blocker. Right. And so whoever takes that spot in the backfield – Absolutely. Not only do they have to know their blocking assignment, you got to be able you got to be able to chip a defensive end, or you got to be able to cut somebody. That's why I think a guy like Jeremiah Hall may see more time in the backfield just as an as a protection guy. Right. I, I and I see where you're coming from. Like I said, this this isn't a game preview, but I, I'm curious to know with all the motion, with the talent that's on the roster is. What surprise wrinkles are thrown in specifically for this game that we wouldn't anticipate? Mm-hmm. That's where I'm coming from. Yeah, and that's what's great about Lincoln Riley having over three weeks to prepare. And even though, uh, even though he's without some key guys, um, I, I don't think. I mean, like Trajan Bridges, I I still think hit the sky's the limit for him. But when you look at the depth of these receivers, I mean. If you tell me the day before the game Trajan Bridges is injured and can't play, I'm okay. 
I mean, that, really, that's that's my reaction. Yeah. Now, now two, next year that changes. Yeah, well, two years from now or even next fall, that could be different. But right now you're going, oh, yeah, you're without Trajan Bridges. Eh, all right. You next, know, next, you're without Ramondre Stevenson. Mm-hmm. You're like, ah, oh, crap, you know? Next year changes. We're about to get into recruiting here. Well, we gotta we we gotta talk about the defensive side of the ball though, with Ronnie Perkins being out as well. But okay. next year, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, next year, where I'm looking at Trajan Bridges is how many scholarship, how many scholarship, not just wide receivers, mm-hmm. because there's an argument to be made that there's a lot of wide receivers on the roster. But if you went through and you picked out the scholarship wide receivers, assuming CD lamb leaves for the NFL, I believe that number, and we're not talking tight ends here either. I'm talking about wideouts, guys who are going to line up and stretch you vertically, not necessarily in the slot or be a tight end. You're looking at four, maybe five, I'd have to go back and count, but scholarship receivers without Trajan Bridges, that number goes down by one being available. Yeah, that would I mean, be concerning in future contexts. Look, they, they just got Marvin Mims, four-star recruit. Mm-hmm. Um, you got right now. You've got I don't know how many are on scholarship, how many not, but you got nine. The receiver core goes nine deep at right now, and that's so. Look, even even next year, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I, I really don't. I mean, you're you're looking at me. I'm gonna when, shake my head over. Yeah, you're here. giving me a disagreement. But I mean, what are you losing off this receiving core going into the next season? You're losing Ceedee Lamb, who, by the way, is the best receiver in America. But you're, I mean, you're 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 still gonna be I'm nine just deep. losing him. You're you're gonna lose Lee Morris. Yeah. Wow. Sh- no, I'm just shrug saying. Shrug your I, shoulders. Well, I'm just saying. I, Lee, Lee Morris has been great, okay, but he's not. Again, he's that guy. If you come to me before the game, say, "Oh, Lee Morris got hurt." Yeah, okay. I'm, so, I'm, I'm <laughs> ne- just next year, Matt. Let me just put this into perspective. Charleston Rambo is going to be the most experienced receiver on the roster. I'm okay with that. And he's a sophomore. I'm okay with that because I'm saying, look, you, 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 well, he'll be a junior next year. He will be. But you've got Hazelwood. You don't think mm-hmm. that kid's talented? No, I do. I think Theo Weiss, Theo extremely Weiss, talented. Bridges, Stogner, Austin Stogner. Uh, and, like I said, these yeah, are extremely and, talented, but and, I'm looking at the wideouts, Matt. Just wideouts. But, I mean, is there really a tight end anymore? At all? I mean, what, I think Stogner's a wideout. <laughs> okay. I mean, is that not how Grant Calcaterra has been used? Is that not how no. he's... You're crazy. Yes. <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying is like Marvin Mims is going to be really really good. I agree with I, you. I I I think he's an underrated recruit. Well, as talented as these three guys that are freshmen right now, that class last year, as talented as those guys are, and you're not let me throw Stogner in there. So, <laughs> but as talented as those guys are, I think Marvin Mims is right there with them. This kid's going to come in so and he's essentially you're saying the gift here at Christmas goes to whoever Oklahoma's next starting quarterback is. Well, we know who that is as well. But anyway, <laughs> um, let's talk on the defensive side of the ball because here's the reason why I I, I hate that Ronnie Perkins is gone. And and I would not react that way I was talking about with, with Bridges. If you come to me and say, hey, uh, Ronnie Perkins is out, you know, I'm going to go, oh, you know, that's a significant loss because he, he is your leader in sacks. He's got six on the season. But – I, there's depth there, and I think you can do more things because Ronnie Perkins, his specialty is rushing the quarterback. And and let's let's be honest about what we're losing in Ronnie Perkins. Oklahoma is losing a pass rushing specialist. They're not le- losing a leading tackler. They're losing a guy who leads the team in sacks. I think he's like sixth, fifth or sixth on the team in total tackles. 
So you're not losing a top tackler and, and just the, the normal ins and outs of your defensive schemes. You're losing the guy that says, okay, this is a passing down. We're going to send Ronnie Perkins, and he's going to make a play on the quarterback. There are guys, I believe, on this team that can take that role. I think of two of them immediately. I think Jalen Redmond is more than capable of taking that role. He's already on the defensive line. And let's not forget, Caleb Kelly still coming around. He could be that guy as well. Caleb Kelly has one game left to play in. I think they're gonna. I think the, the plan for Caleb Kelly is to apply for a medical redshirt because there's no way if you beat LSU and you're the next game is a national championship and you're down Ronnie Perkins, zero chance Caleb Kelly does not play in that game. You don't. You don't keep Caleb Kelly behind so you can keep him for next year. You want to win a national championship. Coach Riley wants to win a national championship. Caleb Kelly wants to win a national championship. Caleb Kelly's playing. And then you're going to hope for a medical redshirt, which I think he qualifies for. But there's been a lot of talk about Marcus Stripling. I, I think maybe you start putting him in that rotation. Um, he's got very limited um, action this year. I think he's got six tackles total, a one true for freshman, loss. Right? Yeah, he's a freshman. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I, I look at this this loss with Ronnie Perkins, even though I think it's a significant loss. I think it's less significant than Ramondre Stevenson because there's so much depth and so many more options there. And I, I start with Jalen Redmond. That's my thought. That's a good thought, Matt. That's a good. I I've already quality told you, analysis there, Rich. I've already told you that the biggest loss to me of the three that have been thrown out there was for sure Ronnie Perkins. I agree with you, Jalen Redmond, quality player who could absorb a lot of the attention has that type of talent has that type of athleticism as well. I know that you're throwing Marcus Stripling out there, but I think there's another guy that a little more experienced, a little bit older has more time in a college strength and training program. And that's a LaRon Stokes, another guy, like I said, that you could throw out there. And I think there's a lot of potential there just hasn't necessarily lived up to that. And that is Stokes. If he can come on in this game and provide that boost, that energy level that we would like to see out of a guy at that position on the defensive line, you've got something in the making here. Mm -hmm. All of the sudden, now that that this is a, a position group that has a lot of talent. It's just young and unproven. So I'm singling out Stokes because he is a junior. He does have that experience. He's played a considerable amount of time this season. Is he going to be as effective as a guy like Ronnie Perkins? I, I don't I can't say yes at this point in time because it hasn't been proven. But are the tools there? Is he a guy size-wise who who fits the bill? Absolutely. Oklahoma heading to Atlanta to play LSU in the Peach Bowl, the college football playoff semifinal game. The winner gets the winner of Ohio State and Clemson. If you're hoping for tickets for Christmas, we know exactly where you can go to get those tickets. Vivid Seats is your top source for tickets for the events that you want to go to. You can sort by price. You can look for seats in the section and the row of your choice, all within the Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back. Vivid Seats rewards. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats apps. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats rewards loyalty program. 
Every purchase is backed by 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and the games to the hottest theater shows and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and join the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program today. And when it's time to buy, new users enter the promo code OVERTIME at checkout and they will receive a discount of up to $100. That's the way to go if you're looking for tickets. Oklahoma signing the nation's 10th ranked recruiting class according to our friends at 24-7 Sports, number two in the Big 12 by a very, very, very narrow margin. Sooners get 21 signed letters of intent on Wednesday on the opening day of the early signing period, highlighted by uh, a couple of four-star projects, uh, prospects, not projects, prospects. Bill Beanbow knocked it out of the park with five offensive linemen in this class. Sooners also have four receivers coming in this class, four defensive linemen, including the number one and the number two Juco defensive tackles in the nation, two linebackers, four defensive backs, two special teams players all over the place uh, in this class. I think by the time it's all said and done, Oklahoma will have the top class in the Big 12. I, I'm, I, don't, I can't figure it out. I know Texas has a five-star running back, and therefore they get the slight edge over Oklahoma in these rankings. But Oklahoma signed 22 players. 14 of them were four stars. They signed 21 players. They have 22 commitments. 14 four stars. Texas, 17. I, you, you tell me how that works. <laughs> Can't. I won't. All right, so let's Can't look at it. this class. To me, I think it starts with these defensive tackles. Uh, Josh Ellison, you know, he's a he's a three-star guy. He um, – he really, it really came down to Oklahoma and Texas A&M. I think everybody knew that. There's, there, there was one other offer out there for him, but everybody thought he was such a heavy Texas A&M deal. I know Auburn was interested in him, but um, you know, he, we talked about this. He wore his Oklahoma hoodie when he went on the Auburn visit. Um, it's, it's one of those things where you don't look at the, the number of offers to evaluate how good this kid was. The reason why there aren't a lot of offers out there is because. For so long, everybody thought he was going to Texas A&M. He committed to Texas A&M right out of high school, ended up going the JUCO route, had been committed to Texas A&M. Oklahoma becomes a player late on him. Number two defensive tackle, JUCO in the nation. Um, and then, you know, and then there's the big guy, Perry and Winfrey, um, who's the number one um, JUCO defensive tackle in the nation, four-star recruit that literally everybody wanted. Oklahoma beats out Auburn. They beat out Alabama. They beat out Texas. They beat out. I mean, you, you live. There's like 20 scholarship offers for this kid. These two guys, to me, I, I have an article at Heartland Sports uh, about this. These two guys are the 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 keynotes of this recruiting class for me because of the fact Oklahoma and you and I talked about this when we did our, our signing day preview. The, the loss of Marquise Overton, the loss of Neville Gallimore, those are big losses. Behind those two guys. You've got you've got depth. I mean, you you've got people, but you don't have experience. And Alex Grinch. Well, okay, you're yeah. I just wanted you to say no, the name. Right. That's why go, I'm go writing ahead. it down. Yeah, nope, go ahead. Nope, nope. This one's I'm all just saying, you. is that a big loss? Depth wise, um, yes. Tell people uh, who we're talking about because they didn't get to a read your note. Contributor Dylan Famatu. But, but again, I'm talking about the significance on the field action. I mean, is he, has he been significant? No, that's what I'm saying. So the point I'm making is Alex Grinch, whatever the, whenever the postseason begins, 
be it after the Peach Bowl, be it after the national championship, Alex Grinch is going to enter into the postseason riding a wave of momentum. I think this defense turned around way greater than anybody expected them to. But losing these two guys in the middle is going to be significant to maintaining that momentum through the spring and into the next fall. And Alex Grinch himself said it. These junior college guys, I didn't recruit them to come here and develop. I recruited them to come here and play football and mm-hmm. to start immediately. And to me, they become the key guys because if these if these two guys aren't able to be contributing factors immediately, then we may see Oklahoma's defense take a significant step forward this year but take a step backwards next year because they can't get things going up in the middle. Yeah, the when, when you looked at this recruiting class specifically – I felt on the defensive side of the ball, the defensive tackle position was the most needed. It was one place where Oklahoma had to get immediate contributors as well as some depth there. And it's because of the three guys who are graduating, leaving this huge hole there. But ultimately, you're, you're just going to stick to your guns that there's three. There's there are three. three. I get it, but there's not three ultimately, significant losses. With all due respect to the kid, there's two significant losses. Ultimately, Neville Gallimore has been the anchor right. at that position. He's been the disruptor for the defensive line and has caused quite a bit of havoc this year, which has opened things up for the defensive end. You're hoping to replace that kind of a production with a guy like Perry and Winfrey who can step in. I think of this whole recruiting class, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, Perry and Winfrey is the he's the name to know. But Joshua Ellison is a guy who could step in and and have an impact immediately as well. He's not going to be a guy who's easily forgotten. He will be in that rotation, and you will expect, especially you will expect him to play, especially because he's a he's a four for three guy. He's coming in mm-hmm. as a sophomore, where you could redshirt him and, and still get. I know you're shaking your yeah, head. No. I know he, you're shaking he, your head. Playing. He's playing three years. I yeah. get it. Well, I, he may play two, but I'm just saying he's mm-hmm. playing. You're, no, you're no, not, no, no. I'm there, with there's you. There's no red shirt involved here. I'm with you. I'm just saying it's available. Okay. Okay. He has, he has three years to play, but could spend four years on campus. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Okay. So this, the Jace McClellan, a, uh, you know, top running back uh, in Oklahoma's, you know, as far as their targets goes, he ends up going to Auburn last minute. Um, there's so many stories. There's so many angles that you can take on this. Um, you know, Lincoln Riley made a big deal out of it leading up to the Big 12 championship that, hey, look, we're, we're preparing for a game, and all these other coaches are out there hitting up recruits. Clearly that played a role in Jason McClellan ending up at Alabama because why, why Lincoln Riley and staff are preparing for Baylor. Nick Saban doesn't have anything to do. He's hitting the recruiting trail. There's, you know, there's that aspect of it. But, look, to me, this came down to a look at Oklahoma's depth chart a look at Alabama's depth chart and where you can have the biggest impact the soonest. And I think he felt that happened in Alabama, but there's there's this understanding out there that this kind of wrecked Oklahoma's recruiting class, which to me is, is anything but the truth because he had a pretty good running back four-star kid and Seth McGowan anyway, coming in, um, he had offers from Oklahoma. He had offers from Georgia. He also had offers from Alabama. Number 13 running back in the class. Number 20th overall prospect out of Texas. Oklahoma still hit a home run at the running back position. I, I agree with you. And it's easy to 
take McClellan and say he was the crown jewel mm-hmm. of those who were committed for this recruiting cycle. And when you remove his name, it diminishes a little bit of the excitement for an average Joe fan who's casually following recruiting. You don't see this top 10 or top five, wherever he's at at this point in time, McClellan, you don't see that that small number. Instead, you see double digits closer to McGowan's name. Needless to say, I was excited for the potential of a one-two punch coming in and being a part of this recruiting class. But I agree, and I see what you're saying. My question that I want to throw out there just to ponder at this point in time is does does McClellan going elsewhere tell us a little bit more about what Trey Sermon's future holds? No, I don't think so. Um, because even even with Trey Sermon out of the out of the feet, I mean, just take him out, okay? He's going to be behind Marcus Major. He's going to be behind TJ Pledger. He's going to be behind Kennedy Brooks. He's going to be behind Ramondre Stevenson after the suspension. Um, so, I mean, that's there's still four deep right there. So I I don't think it says anything. I my gut tells me. Trey Sermons has taken the Rodney Anderson route. He's eligible. He's got film out there. He suffered a major injury. You come back from it and you go earn your money while you can. If if Trey Sermon would ask, I love Trey Sermon, but if he were to ask me my advice, which he's not going to, but if he were to ask me my advice, I'm going to tell him, go, go make money. He's got a lot of tread on his tires at the university of Oklahoma. Go make money. Um, and so I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm going to say that doesn't affect or his decision to go to Alabama doesn't weigh anything on what Trey Sermon is because, and, and that, that doesn't include the McCowan kid he's coming in with. So there's five guys you're competing with for time on the field mm-hmm. that Alabama is not stacked five deep. Right. Now I do, I do think McClellan is probably better than some of the four, five ahead of him that he could he could make that gap. But this is going to be Kennedy Brooks' team next year. And Ramondre Stevenson hurt himself in a bad, bad way because he's got one season left. But he, I mean, Ramondre Stevenson obviously is not starting the season in Oklahoma's backfield. So somebody is getting four weeks worth of care. Let's say, let's say, let's say they make it to the national championship game, okay? Someone's getting the month of September other than Ramondre Stevenson. He's got to work his way back in there. And I have been super high on Ramondre Stevenson. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows I've been super high on Ramondre Stevenson. But he... No pun intended. (laughs) He absolutely hurt himself 100% because he has the smallest window to try to come back and make a name for himself. You know, Ronnie Perkins still... He'll miss half. Let's say he misses half of next season. He still has a year after that. Trajan Bridgers still has two years after that. Ramondre Stevenson doesn't have that. He's going to have, he's going to have seven or eight games. And part of that time is going to be working his way back up that depth chart. That is a very talented stable of backs. I think that had more to do with McClellan than anything else. Yeah. Okay. So let's look at who's still to come. Cause I don't uh, clearly, Oklahoma's not finished. Reggie Grimes, four-star defensive end, has yet to sign. He he tweeted out on Wednesday, "Hey, I'm Oklahoma. I'm I'm coming to. I'm committed, but I'm not signing until February." Like, there's all kinds of reasons for kids to do that. Um, I I I am a big fan of letting these kids take those official visits. 
I'm a big fan of letting a kid have all the publicity and all the hype. My son went from being an all-state football player just to being a member of the team when he joined, he went into college. Let them have that highlight for as long as they can. I'm not saying Reggie Grimes is just going to fade away once he gets on campus, but how many five-star, how many four-star guys have shown up on campus and you never, you never hear from them again. There's mm-hmm. always that chance. Let them live. Let them live the dream. Let them live the life. Let them have the good time. Clearly, Reggie Grimes isn't a candidate to be an early enrollee like some of these other guys are, but he's coming. I still say Oklahoma is going to sign a quarterback. Chandler Morris is a guy that I, I, I'm still looking at him. I, he made a, a visit last month uh, to uh, Virginia Tech, and it looks like right now his three choices are Virginia Tech, USC, and Oklahoma. Um, you know, look, Virginia Tech, I'm old enough to remember um, – Michael Vick. Well, clearly uh, I'm old enough to remember Michael Vick. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where I was going with that, but uh, this is a this is a dual threat quarterback. Oh, Justin Fuente. That's what I was gonna say. I'm old enough to remember Justin Fuente playing football for Oklahoma, so I gives me a little more interest when I whenever I watch. Uh, do you know Justin Fuente played for Oklahoma? No. See, there you go. Um, <laughs> no, my my history. Do you know who Oklahoma. Justin Fuente is? No. He's the head coach at Virginia Tech. Oh, I thought you meant like at Oklahoma. Well, he was. He was no a quarterback at the University of Oklahoma. That's good to know. And, yeah, from he tossed the kid. See, again, when I make fun of you for being a kid, this is this is the reason why. But um, he was there. He was on campus the week before Thanksgiving. Uh, looks like Virginia Tech, Oklahoma, USC. I still think Oklahoma wins out here, but um, I I don't see Oklahoma not getting a quarterback in this class for reasons we've already debated. <laughs> do you got anything else as far as no, you, who might I, come in? Chandler Morris is the only one, and to your point here, he's the only one holding an offer from the University of Oklahoma who is not committed elsewhere or signed elsewhere at this point in time, which puts the probability and all of the attention from the coaching staff. If they're signing a quarterback puts all of that attention, all of that focus on him as a singular individual, will they lure him in and will he sign only time will tell at this point in time. I, I, while I, I still hold the stance of it's not necessary. I do think it happens, but you've already mentioned Reggie Grimes as that name that's that's remained unsigned. Where I get concerned, and maybe this is a big to-do about nothing, is the available scholarships and roster spots that are currently available. We're starting to get into the territory where it's going to be a tight squeeze if this group goes from 21 to 23 or goes... F- even up to 25, it's it's going to be a slim, slim margin that's going to put some pressure on the coaching staff and some of these players to begin exploring other options on how you actually get someone here on a scholarship. Well, I, I don't think they're going to top that. I, mean, I really do. But I, I, I don't either. Um, I feel like they. If I they mean, add I, I've one, got the solution. I mentioned this to you off the air uh, Wednesday night. I, I've got the solution. You got you got three guys who who popped on a drug test. One of them only has one year of eligibility. He's going to miss part of that year. Hey, man, you came from junior college. You could always go back to junior college. He wouldn't be the first guy to go from junior college to the NFL. You also could go Division two. I mean, I'm just saying, I, again, I'm super high on this guy, but I don't think it comes to that. I I, I think they're smart enough to playing this out. Right. Um, interesting on Chandler Moore. So, by the way, he's supposed to announce in two weeks uh, his decision. Uh, interesting though, Auburn's not, not in there. It doesn't appear to be an option for him where a week ago when we're recording this, his dad goes to Auburn to become the offensive coordinator. 
Everybody thought Auburn was so, suddenly the front runner for him. I explained why I wouldn't go to Auburn if I was Chandler Morris. Maybe he listened to the podcast because Auburn, it looks like, again, his three choices have been narrowed down, and Auburn doesn't seem to be one of those top options, but he's supposed to announce um, on the in 14 days, in two weeks. So, all right. Um, and I, I think that's it. I, I, I do think, you know, barring something crazy, are you bothered by Reggie Grimes? No, not at all. Um, I think barring something crazy with Reggie Grimes, I, I do think that Reggie Grimes is still to come and a quarterback. And I, I, if they, if Chandler Morris, when he makes his announcement here in a couple of weeks, if he says, yeah, I'm going to go to USC, which is a, is a possibility. Um, but if he says, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to USC or, or I'm going to go to Virginia Tech. I, I think Oklahoma, they start looking at guys. There, there's quarterbacks out there, and you'll see another offer go out. I, I, I don't. I guess all I'm saying is I don't think they're done as far as um, as far as the quarterback goes. I, the, you, if you see another offer goes out, it's because Chandler Morris goes somewhere else. Chandler Morris commits to Oklahoma. Sooners are done. The only question that really remains for me is we've just discussed the McClellan situation. Was Oklahoma set on bringing in? two running backs in this class, or are they content with one? Because if they're looking for a second, I don't know what their options are. I don't know if there's a Juco prospect out there, but one for me is enough given the facts that you've already stated in the depth of, of this roster. No, I think they, they, that uh, spot that was going to go to uh, McClellan, um, is, Went to a defensive back instead. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, I think uh, McClellan, they, they were going to get him. They, they'd been in on him. They were, I think they were the fourth school to offer him a scholarship. Well, he was committed for two years. Yeah, they'd been in on him since 2017. But um, I, I think once he left, they were they were happy to give his spot to Joshua Eaton, you know, mm-hmm. or one of these other. I think Joshua Eaton is probably who got that scholarship, if you're asking me. But um, – no, I, I don't think they go after another running back. If, if that's that's the long way of answering what should have been a short <laughs> a short question. Um, anything else in recruiting that you want to that you want to hit up? Anything else you want to no, say or? No, that's it. We're obviously not done with the 2020 class, but I know all the focus is going to shift towards 2021. A lot of focus being put on Brock Vandegrift as the top quarterback in the class committed to Oklahoma. You hope that you can maintain those relationships. But like I said, the focus is is really going to switch to that and, and the needs that Oklahoma will be looking for. If you're a quarterback and Lincoln Riley has offered you a scholarship and you choose to go somewhere else, something's not right. <laughs> I'm just saying there's just if you're a quarterback and you want and you want to you want to succeed at the at the collegiate level, um, there's no reason Um no reason at all that uh, you shouldn't come to the University of Oklahoma. All right, let's close out. Let's talk a little bit about basketball for just um, just a few minutes. Uh, Oklahoma, in my opinion, missing out on two fantastic opportunities to get marquee wins. And by what I mean by that is is true road wins. Now you could you can make um, you can make an argument that Oregon State was a true road win. You can make an argument that Minnesota was a true road win, but they they played Wichita State in Wichita, had a significant lead in that game, ended up blowing it. They just couldn't keep up with Creighton at Creighton. Two losses in a row now. They're they're sitting with three losses on the season, seven and three in Big 12 play. 
Two games left before Kansas State comes on January 4th. Two games left to get everything right before um, before Big 12 play. They host UCF uh, on Saturday and then the uh, UT Rio Grande Valley. Oklahoma has to be. We talked about getting to 10 wins before conference season started. They're sitting at seven now. They're not going to get to 10. They can't afford to drop one of these two games and before Joe from Anadarko was like, hey, well, look at their playing. You know, those should be automatic, two automatic wins. They beat North Texas by two points. There's nothing automatic with this basketball team, in my opinion. Are we concerned back-to-back losses at Wichita State at Creighton? Two good teams, by the way. It's, it's not like they lost to, to nobodies, but they're games that they could have won, but they didn't. I think Wichita State is more shocking because you had the you you had control of that game and you lost it. Are there concerns? There are, as a team, I believe that there are concerns. Are there concerns with the losses? No, losses are going to come. We have to look at the fact that overall this is still a young team. It's going to be dominated by young players. It's going to be looked at and who's contributing off the bench outside of the the main three, Manic, Reeves, and Doolittle. What what are the these what we'll call role players here for this situation and this conversation? What are they contributing? And ultimately, I know Harmon's pointed this out. I know that um I just blanked on the name. Anywho, Harmon's pointed this out and, and I believe him because it's something that's becoming more and more evident. You could even go back to some of these earlier games against what a lot of people would say is a, a lesser opponent, such as uh North Texas. Oklahoma hasn't won the rebounding. They they haven't the rebounding margin, they haven't won that consistently enough to be winning close games. And when I say close games, it's it's a single-digit loss. You could look at Wichita State, single-digit loss. I, I know that Creighton's a 10-point loss, but ultimately that one was affected by the number of rebounds. Offensive rebounds for opposing teams, that number has steadily grown as the competition has increased in level. But like I said, you can go back to UNT. Oklahoma's out-rebounded there. I know they're playing undersized, but they've got to find a way to get these guards crashing the glass in order to make something happen. I don't care if it's defensive or offensive, but in order to make something happen, second chance points or leading to a fast break, that's where the difference is really going to come. And if the team under Kruger can buy into that kind of a concept or an idea, I think they turn these, these close, these close losses into close wins. Yeah. For me, here's what it comes down to is it's bench play. And in the loss to Creighton, they only had one guy. Now, they, they only went four deep. Kruger only went four deep on the bench, but only one out of the four contributed points. That means you had three guys give you pointless minutes. And, and if I mean, you got to have point. You got to have production, mm-hmm. particularly out of your bench. And, See, and me, I, I thought that was a strong point for the bench leading up to this, this two-game stint. Well, I th- I, it's not the first time it's happened this season where the bench just didn't mm-hmm. give you points. And and to your point about rebounding, Oklahoma Oklahoma had 41 total rebounds against Creighton. But that's a little bit misleading when you consider the fact that Creighton, just on the defensive side, because this is to your point, 
just the defensive side, Creighton had 37 defensive rebounds. So that, that means that Creighton took away 37 second chance point opportunities for Oklahoma's offense, which is which is making your point. So I think clearly when you look at this team getting ready for conference play, rebounding is a big issue, a big factor, and so is the bench. And I think when you got so many young guys, the bench may kind of be an issue all season long. I'm going back and I'm looking at the stats here against North Texas, Oklahoma, 28 rebounds, North Texas, 32, 10 of the 32 are offensive for North Texas. That means they had 22 defensive rebounds. Wichita state, that number grows exponentially because (laughs) the shockers, 48 rebounds to Oklahoma's 31, 13 of those for Wichita state are offensive rebounds. Whereas Oklahoma, only has six. I'm going to go back just one more. We're going to look at Missouri as well. Oklahoma, 29 total rebounds. Excuse me. This was one that they won. Missouri, 29. Oklahoma, 34. And we see it produce an 11-point victory. I believe that there's a correlation. We'll have to monitor this stat line throughout the remainder of the season, or at least into conference play, because if that stat line, if that trend continues, then it's clearly the problem, but it's it's the one thing that, to me, signifies effort. Anytime throughout the game, reboundings signify effort. Are you fighting for that rebound? Are you fighting for that loose ball? And then it correlates well, and sometimes to— Sometimes if you watch the game, sometimes it's not a matter of fighting. It's just a matter of being <laughs> being beat. And that, I, I think it's— You've been around Lincoln uh, Lincoln Riley. What's the what's the basketball coach's name? You've been around Lon Kruger. I've been around Lon Kruger. We've we've had one on one time with him. We've been to practices. Effort is very 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 rarely a problem right. with Lon Kruger's teams. But like I said, but this is, just this is a young team, right? That's true. And that's it is true. buying into that philosophy. It is buying in to what Kruger's selling. If they're not doing it, is is this one of the things that pinpoints? That effort, I don't know. Like I said, it's something we'll continue to monitor. Moving forward for us, it's all about the Peach Bowl now. Uh, next podcast will be a complete breakdown of Oklahoma and LSU as they face off in Atlanta. One thing of note, um, I'm sure people know this, but something that we're going to have to monitor and keep keep track of is that Oklahoma may not be the only team missing players when they meet up in Atlanta. LSU's leading rusher went out with a hamstring injury, uh, left practice on Tuesday, and Orgeron said on Wednesday night that he doesn't know the extent of the injury, doesn't know if the guy's going to play or doesn't know if he's not going to play. I saw a couple of reports today that says he's done for the season, but nothing has been confirmed. That's a big, that's a significant loss to LSU because when you can't run the ball, it makes it that much more easier for a defense to pin its ears back and just come after your quarterback. Uh, this kid, 1,290 rushing yards uh, this season, averaging 6.5 yards a carry. Significant loss mm-hmm. uh, because they don't have a Kennedy Brooks there. Right, and it's not just what I, – I have been able to watch a couple of LSU games this this season, whether that was early on or whether that was later, I watched the Texas one. I watched the Alabama. So there's a good early on still developing, trying to find your identity playing against Alabama and and kind of knowing who you are. And then I watched the Auburn game as well, but how they used this kid, this running back wasn't just in the running game. Obviously he 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 affected, he caught 50 passes as well. He affected the game in numerous areas. And so if he's out, 
I, I think it's a significant loss for LSU and what they want to do offensively because instead of having one guy who can fill two roles, they're most likely going to have to use two guys to fill two roles. Do you know uh, who the second leading rusher is on the team? I don't. Without without cheating? Joe Burrow? Joe Burrow, second leading Three, rusher. He only has like 300 yards. 289 yards. That that tells you how how wow. how significant this kid mm-hmm. is for LSU. All right, one one thing to close out here. I want to have some fun with you. I don't know if you've uh, – you uh, tell me you haven't cheated. And you, have you looked at the Big 12 rankings – for this uh, 2020 class, you know where everybody rankings? are? I don't. Okay, so we know Texas is number one. Oklahoma is number two by a hair. All right, so mm-hmm. I'm gonna you're gonna I'm gonna tell you the team. You're gonna you're gonna guess where they finish in the Big 12 rankings as of right now. I mean, obviously this won't solidify until February. Okay, so where do you think Baylor finished? Big 12 runner-up this year. Um, they're not number one. They're not number two. Where do you think they finished? The the problem for me is they had one good season, and I want to skew them upwards. Mm-hmm. However, I'm not going to. I'm going to say eight. Baylor has 15 commitments right now. Two four, two of the 15 are four-star. That's their highest ranked. The Bears are currently number 10 in the Big 12. Man, Let's I go. figured it'd be low. I just made <laughs> that low. Let's go with uh, Les Miles in the Kansas mm-hmm. State Jayhawks. Nine. They are number eight. Less with 24 commitments in this class, all of them three-stars. Staying in the state of Oklahoma, going up north to Stillwater, Oklahoma State. Uh, number seven. Number five, Mike Gundy with 19 commitments, one four-star. Oh, that's good. Um, I'm impressed. Matt Wells, Texas Tech's new head coach. First full recruiting cycle for him. Where do you think they finished? We don't have a number seven yet, so I'm going there again. You are. You hit your first one on the head, Texas Tech. 20 recruits, one four-star. Um, staying with new coaches, Chris Kleiman, Kansas State Wildcats. Six. Number nine, not a good recruiting cycle, uh, but they did sign 28 kids, 27 of the 28, three stars or higher. Um, Let's go with um, uh, TCU, Gary Patterson. Six. Number three in the conference. Uh, I thought West Virginia would be number three. West Virginia ended up number four. I give that one away. So that leaves, just based off of your memory here, that leaves us (laughs) Iowa State. At number six. Number six, Iowa State. The sign clones uh, with 21 commitments right now, one four-star. That's going to wrap it up for us. Thanks so much for listening. Here's the list. Uh, Recruiting finalized Oklahoma at number two. I'm still going to do it backwards. Oklahoma, number two. Texas, number one. TCU, number three. West Virginia, four. Oklahoma State, five. Uh, Iowa State, six. Texas Tech, seven. Kansas at eight. Kansas State at nine. And the Baylor Bears in at number 10 on on the Big 12 recruiting rankings. Again, nothing is finalized until after the final day to sign in February. Uh, he's Rich. I'm Matt. Student Nation Podcast. Thanks so much. Would love to get a positive rating from you. Uh, hit us up on Apple Podcasts. Hit us up on on Spotify, on iHeartRadio, however you're listening to us. Feel Always feel free to, uh, to participate in the conversation by sending your notes, questions, comments, suggestions, even snide remarks. You can find us uh, on Twitter at SportsHeartland on at sports heartland on twitter or you can always shoot us an email heartland underscore sports at yahoo.com have a great weekend everybody Boom sooner.